0: I'm Alex Ashton and this is The Detail. Today, a law change going through Parliament will stop defence lawyers bringing up complainant's sexual history in cases of sexual violence.
1: The system as it stands currently is much more concerned with ensuring that the defendant has a fair trial than it is with guaranteeing the same for the victim.
0: But it's worrying defence lawyers. Can you still get a fair trial under these laws?
2: Uh, No, I think it's getting harder and harder for a defendant to get
0: a fair trial. And why some want the law extended beyond sexual violence, to include cases like that of Grace Mullane, where the victim is dead.
2: It doesn't matter what Grace Mullane may or may not have consented to even on this night, um, or on the previous nights with other partners. You can't consent to treatment which is so rough that it might reasonably result in, in your death. The government's announced a raft of law changes it says will make the justice system
1: fairer and safer for victims of sexual violence. The bill, if you think about it in a historical context, has been coming for a really long time.
0: Kirsty Johnston is an investigative reporter for the New Zealand Herald.
1: These changes were mooted more than 10 years ago, but the initial report that kind of pushed for changes was uh, quashed by Judith Collins and kind of shelved, and so... When this government got in, obviously Jan Logie, she's the undersecretary to the Minister of Justice, and she focuses on sexual violence. So she dug out all of that, and there's been a few more Law Commission reports since that first one. And that's kind of the origin.
0: What will the bill actually do?
1: It does a few different things. The changes would mean a complainant may never
2: have to set foot in court to give their evidence or face questions from the defence. It would be their automatic right to pre-record both to be played in court later.
1: One of the biggest differences with this new bill is that whereas currently defence lawyers are allowed to bring up the complainant's sexual history with the accused, under the bill they won't be able to bring that up unless the judge has pre-approved it or unless it's deemed directly relevant. So what they're saying is that even if you've had sex with that person before, it doesn't mean that that is directly relevant on this case. It doesn't mean that you consented just because you've slept with them a 100 times before doesn't mean you consented to this incident which you are saying is sexual violence. So they can't just bring that up willy-nilly. You already can't do that for complainants, sexual history with other people, this takes it another step forward in saying even your sexual history with the accused, with your attacker, your abuser, isn't necessarily directly relevant.
0: What was the driver behind the bill?
3: Why was it necessary to make a change like that?
1: The main driver is that women don't report sexual violence.
3: Jan Jordan is an expert on how rape and sexual assault complainants are treated in the court. Dr Jordan says cross-examination in court is often degrading and humiliating.
1: You know, we can't say we have a system offering justice to rape victims when the majority of victims don't even want to report rape, let alone take a case into one of our courts. Some of the reasons that researchers found that they don't report is because they find the experience of a courtroom like degrading or terrifying or simply just awful because as soon as they get on the stand they can... Be torn apart, and so I think, yeah, the driving force behind the bill is to stop that happening, to make women feel more comfortable, and that's why it brings in a whole bunch of other things, like in the way a witness can give evidence, so they the complainant can go behind a screen, or perhaps they can record the evidence beforehand. So it's just about making that courtroom a slightly more welcoming place for complainants.
3: Their sexual history will be off limits unless it relates directly to the case. And judges will have to step in and stop any offensive questioning from lawyers.
1: Research has shown that if you're a sexual violence victim, the way you remember the incident like the way it kind of like records in your memory can be really jagged so it's really difficult, even in the first instance to try and describe what happened to you because trauma it you know it grows with your brain and then so if they're saying, "Oh, but you did it before you want it, you would have done it again, you can just see how that would impact a person and would just, you know, it just destroys them, basically. It's like a re-victimisation of that person, and that's what this bill wants to avoid.
0: Because that revictimization is a big reason why people don't come forward, right?
1: Yeah, it's like... Or fear you, of
0: that revictimization. Yeah,
1: exactly. So it's like you enter this justice process because you want justice done, and maybe you want your attacker to not do that to anybody else. But women are going to be really reluctant to enter into that process if they are going to be re-harmed, and that's what, that's what victims have said. They've said it causes more harm to them.
0: Here's Jan Logie.
1: The ability to pre-record the evidence so that they don't have to keep holding that story or necessarily turn up and talk about, you know, one of the worst experiences of their lives in really intimate detail in front of a room full of strangers, um, I think that's going to make a significant difference. It was something like in the stories that we did, it was like 86% of rape cases which were reported um, were what they call unresolved. So the police were like, wow, well, we believe that this happened, but there's just not enough evidence. It's not that we don't believe you. It's just there's kind of no point us taking this because it doesn't meet the prosecution threshold and let's just drop it. So even at that early stage, women are being kind of, let down by that system and then it just goes on like that like the there's a report that Jan Logie commissioned a couple of weeks before this legislation was announced which showed attrition rates and so what that means is like at which point in the justice system it drops out so it says you know X number of women come to police X number get to court X number get a conviction and it's extremely low I think it was six percent ended up getting a conviction
0: six percent
1: Yeah, so that shows you what happens. So even when women do do this, they get into that courtroom, their sexual history is questioned, and their disposition, that's the other thing that's like a big part of this bill. It's like you can't say, well, she was flirting. Look what she was wearing. That kind of thing is going to be able to be more tightly controlled by the judge.
0: Some defence lawyers, though, aren't happy with the changes and reckon it would make it nigh on impossible to defend a client accused of sexual assault. What will be the impact if these laws pass?
2: Well, the impact is going to be far more restrictive.
0: Here's criminal defence lawyer Marie Dyberg on TVNZ's Q&A.
2: Because at the moment, whatever sexual history you may have with a defendant may well have some bearing on what the case is all about. So that is one of the concerns, is that the discretion for judges mm. to weigh up when you can bring evidence of what has happened before is going to be taken away. The rules are just making it so hard uh, to to really be able to sort of run a defence. We don't victim shame. We do not abuse complainants in the courtroom. It is a myth, it is untrue, and judges are being maligned because they don't allow that either. And on the
0: idea of pre-recorded statements.
3: The Criminal Bar Association's Len Anderson says some of the proposed changes are already happening in practice. He supports the move to protect victims, but wants to ensure the defendant's rights aren't eroded. He's worried a lawyer may not be able to further question a witness if they've pre-recorded their evidence or if there's a mistrial and the case is heard again. This
1: is the real difficulty in preserving the balance of ensuring a fair trial, while on the other hand giving the complainant as much protection as is legally possible.
0: How common is that as a defence to bring up disposition, interests, history?
1: Really common, I would say. I mean, if you look at some of the high-profile rape cases we've seen in recent years, it almost always makes an appearance. Like, if you think about the Scott Kugeline case, the cricketer.
0: Very important to note here that Scott Kugeline was found not guilty of raping the woman who accused him.
1: One of the main things they said in that case was, well, she was flirting with him. Mr Morgan put it to her that uh, on the night she was pretty intoxicated and she'd made it pretty obvious to, to everyone around her, at the party and at the bar, that uh, she was really uh, setting her sights on him. She said no, that she described it more as flirting and, and not pursuing. Now, the, John, the, the defence says that uh, Mr Krugerline believed that there was consent and that he did have reasonable uh, grounds to think so. She went to bed with him, so she wanted it. And that's the thing that Because we lack this understanding of consent and that the justice system kind of isn't sophisticated enough to deal with that. That's what you get, right? It doesn't understand that consent is this ongoing concept. Just because you say yes once doesn't mean you're going to say it again.
0: The bill, as it stands, would only apply to sexual violence cases, but some want it broadened in the wake of a very, very high-profile murder trial. The jury delivered its verdict and then came the anger on social and in mainstream media, pent-up fury at the way Grace Mullane and some of the women witnesses in her murder trial were portrayed through defence questioning. To be really clear here, the changes wouldn't have applied in Grace Mullane's trial because it was murder, not sexual violence. But during the trial, her killer's defence included evidence such as...
1: The woman's statement to the police was read to the court by defence lawyer Claire Farquhar. Grace told me that she enjoyed her partner to put his hands around her neck. I can't really remember the exact words used, but it was something like that.
0: And... A statement
2: given to police by one of Ms Mullane's former sexual partners, who can't be named, was also read to the court... He said Ms Mullane had talked to him about choking during
1: sex. Grace and I discussed keeping hands wide and on the side of her neck, never on the front.
0: And that evidence was reported in headlines, which were jumped on by people who said the victim's sexual history had no relevance to the case and shouldn't have been brought up. But many disagree.
1: No one is trying to shame Ms Mullane or her family. And no-one is trying to blame Ms Mullane or her family. And I'm certainly not suggesting that she's not normal.
0: In the Grace Mullane trial, the defence came out off the bat and one of the first things Ron Mansfield said was, this is not to blame or shame Grace's memory or her family. Did it, though? Did bringing up Grace's sexual disposition, sexual history, sexual interests. Do you think people interpreted that as blame or shame?
1: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because Ron Mansfield is a very good defence lawyer and I have a lot of respect for him. I've seen him defend defendants who other people haven't wanted to take on. And so my criticism kind of comes in that context and that it's really interesting. it was such an interesting trial because on one hand, the defence were kind of saying... They were kind of taking the sex positive attitude. They're like, She's a young woman, she can do what she wants. BDSM is cool, it's normalized, choking's just what the kids are doing these days. So they were kind of they were kind of using sex positivity against her is how I felt. So they would say on the one hand, we're not here to blame her, but then in the next sentence, the next witness they brought forward, they would go back to relying on all these age-old kind of tropes about women and sex. Like the most telling one was the other witness who came forward and said she had been suffocated. That was most telling because she continued to text the offender afterwards. And the lawyers really, the defence lawyers really made a meal of that. They couldn't understand why she would do that. Under cross-examination by defence lawyer Ron Mansfield, the woman said she kept messaging the man out of fear he knew too much about her life. Mr Mansfield accused her of exaggerating her story once she knew the man was connected to Ms Mullane's death. The woman told Mr Mansfield he couldn't minimise her experience and she wasn't lying. Woman, no. I know. It's because you're just like, you're kind of keeping him at arm's length. He knows where you live, maybe. He knows where you work. You don't want to piss him off because he seems like this kind of volatile person. He's very needy and demanding. So you just kind of keep him at arm's length. You keep him at bay. You hope it will eventually fade. I mean, also maybe you're a little bit flattered by the attention and you just want to kind of keep them over there. And women understood that. Nicola Gaby, the sexual politics expert from Auckland University, she described it as like a form of self-defence, you know? Like Mm. that's how women do things. And yet the defence kind of used that to show, oh, you know, well, you wanted it, you're lying and all that kind of thing. So it was really complicated because they were doing two things at once.
2: In the wake of the Grace Mullane trial, there are calls to broaden a bill before Parliament to ensure a dead victim's sexual history isn't dragged through the courts.
0: Since the verdict, there have been calls for this new bill to be extended to include cases like Grace's, because at the moment it wouldn't cover that. Who Who is asking for that and, and why do they think it should be extended?
1: So I think what they're asking for, from my understanding, is that a lot of Sexual violence experts, people from rape crisis, from, you know, help Auckland, um, feminist lawyers who understand the system, they are saying that these kind of protections for witnesses or complainants or whoever should be allowed in any case where there's sexual violence or gender violence, and so in that instance... Grace's case would be included because it's blatantly a sexual violence case, even though the charge is homicide. So they are saying, basically, if you can apply those protections to complainants in sex cases, you should be able to apply them in other places. And even though Grace, well, I feel like particularly because Grace isn't here to give her own version, we should still somehow be able to protect not just her from these, you know, rape myths, that are brought about against, against women. You know, like, there's misbeliefs about women and sex. Like but, what? Oh, I don't know. So you dressed like that, so you wanted it. You know, you wore a short skirt. Well, you drank heaps of alcohol, so that's your fault. You went on a date with him, so you should have looked after yourself. More like that. I don't know, you went to bed with him, so... Because the thing is that those myths are perpetuated in that trial. They are then repeated by the media, and it allows society to go on believing mis about women. And it's dangerous, you know, because that creates rape culture and then that is the setting in which this behaviour can carry on or in which men think it's acceptable to carry on.
0: But on the other side...
3: Since the verdict, there has been a lot of criticism of the defence team's arguments. They've been accused of victim-blaming, of delving too deeply into Grace Mullane's sexual history. Is that fair?
2: No, that is not fair.
0: Defence lawyer Marie Dyberg on Q&A again.
2: I think what people may not understand is that by the time you get to trial, there have been a number of pre-trial arguments in a lot of areas. One argument would have to have been how far can the defence go in introducing evidence of her sexual experience with other people. Now that is in the legislation. It's under section 44. You do not mention anybody's prior sexual experience with somebody else unless and until you have the court order, leave of the judge.
0: What about the argument though? And this was put forward by, it was on Morning Report the other morning, Len Anderson, who's the Criminal Bar Association president. He said...
1: The lawyer has to follow the instructions of their client, and the instructions were that um, death occurred uh, by way of accident during sex. And it's difficult to see how um, the current sexual practice of of both of them could not be introduced in relation to that. I can understand from a defence point of view that, it's, that it is the system and that's what they have to do. But I think you have to look at the broader impacts and then you, then it's easier to start asking questions about, well, is it right?
0: Did the system not work, though, in the case of Grace Mullane?
1: Yeah, it definitely worked, right? It worked. but look Despite at the,
0: her sexual history being brought up?
1: Yeah, it worked. But look at the harm, I think, is what people are saying. And honestly, I'm not an expert. I'm just listening to what people are saying and I've worked with a lot of victims, and I've read all these reports, you know, and I've, and I've heard it time and time again, and I've seen it play out in the figures. And I think you have to, at some point you have to look at those figures. I mean, only 1 in 10 women in New Zealand will report a sexual violence incident. So before you even get into attrition, those numbers that I said, about 6% getting convicted, you've got 1 in 10 coming forward. So it's like at some point we have to stop and say, yeah, it worked for Grace... But is that what we want? Is it working for everybody else?
0: Do you think that sexual history will continue to be used as a defence for as long as people are allowed to?
1: Yeah, I think of course it will be. It's effective. And to be fair to defence lawyers, they don't have anything else. That's how you would run it, right? It's it's the most obvious way to get people off. And that's their jobs. That's their job to defend their clients. So you can't say that they are the evildoers here even though obviously they're like stoking the fires of misogyny by running those lines. It's like, well, that's the system we've got and everyone has to work within it at this point.
0: Johnston penned some of her frustrations from watching the Grace Mullane trial and from hearing the commentary in an op-ed for The Herald on Sunday.
1: The piece that I wrote was about what women, myself, and I talked to a lot of other women for that piece. It was about what it what it told women basically like the messages that if you were watching the coverage if you had spent some days at the trial the messages that you as a woman would get about your life in 2019 which is supposedly the age of me too and all that kind of thing and so for me that piece was a little bit about how I felt um watching it which was angry (laughs) and it was also about like why women keep dying and for me it's that we live in a patriarchy and a society where misogyny is basically everywhere and I felt like that's what the trial said to me you know we're still treating women as second best and so that's why we have these systems you know they were set up by men they're not really there to serve women necessarily
0: but meanwhile, the people calling for the sexual violence changes to be broadened to cases where the complainant is dead will be disappointed. Justice Minister Andrew Little.
1: We've drafted the bill with the uh, particular objectives in mind that we have, which relates to sexual, uh, you know, trials involving sexual offending, and uh, both in the criminal and the, the civil jurisdiction, there's no intention to extend it beyond that.
0: Submissions on the bill finish at the end of January. That's The Detail for today. I'm Alex Ashton. The Detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz, made possible by the RNZ NZ On Air Innovation Fund. Hit the subscribe button to stay across the detail every day. And if you're on Apple, please leave a rating, as it helps other listeners find us. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. Thanks to Kirsty Johnston from the New Zealand Herald. Mā te wa.